Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I definitely pretended to show a, a happy front, um, but you know, deep down inside, I, I truly wasn't. At the age of 13, I was actually suicidal. Uh, um, simply because it was that age where I started to question everything. And it was that age where I started to realize, like, you know, my mom had me at 16 years old. Like, who in their right frame of mind would have a child that young? Plus being, you know, plus the abandonment, plus the neglect. Like, it, it made me think, like, why am I even here? Like, what, what, is, my, what is my purpose? Like, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be here. And that majorly took a toll on me. And I, I dug myself into this very deep and dark hole and then not having like family that was willing to give me answers to the questions that I had, you know, it definitely made it a lot harder. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, beautiful souls. 
This week, we are taking a closer look at anxiety, which is one of the most commonly diagnosed mental health conditions, and it is deeply connected with childhood trauma. When our tiny brains are in an overdrive trying to protect us in a hostile environment, they become very good at being on high alert, always looking for the next threat to come our way, always looking to keep us safe by anticipating what might come next. And that is the start of anxiety in our brains and in our bodies. And that can stay with us for a lifetime. But once we are safe in our adult lives, we don't need that response from our mind and body anymore. But we've learned that so well. We're programmed to that response. And so we can just end up living in this hypervigilant state forever. Maria Lopez has suffered with anxiety for most of her life. Her childhood was filled with abandonment and lacking in love, and she developed anxiety as a coping mechanism. Maria is the host of the Mothering Anxiety podcast, where she is sharing her journey with anxiety, and she has so much to share with us on this very important topic. Please join me in hearing Maria's story. Maria, it's so great to have you on the podcast. We've been connecting for a while now and I love everything that you're doing. You are Mothering Anxiety on Instagram and you have a podcast also called Mothering Anxiety where you're sharing your journey with anxiety to help others. I know that anxiety has been a big battle for you for many years, but let's go back to the beginning of your story and explore where this anxiety came from. Can you tell us a little bit about your mum and dad and what was going on around you when you were born because they were both very young weren't they? Yes so my mother was 16 years old my father I think was about 17 or so and you know it it's been up until now in my life like maybe just a few years ago that I realized that everything that I was told back then has been a lie. (laughs) So my, my mom and my grandma always told me that my dad was a really bad man, uh, very abusive. They said that he would, um, hit my mom. And I think at one point even hit my grandpa. Um, they told me that he abandoned me because of the way I looked. So, um, I am Mexican American. And, um, you know, if you look at me, I'm very light skinned. I have naturally blonde hair, although I dye it now. (laughs) Uh, I have green eyes and my, you know, father does not look like that. So my mom and my grandma always told me like, oh, he left you because he thought you weren't his kid. You know, um, he, he said, there's no way that she's mine because she doesn't look like me and whatever. So, you know, it wasn't until, like I said, just a few years ago that I realized that this was a lie because my dad came in contact with me and I asked him all of these questions. I said, Hey, you know, this, and this was said to me, this, and, you know, they told me this and that, and he, you know, told me his side of the story. And at this point, I don't really know what is a hundred percent true and what isn't, but you know, my, my mom was very young and it's difficult even by my age I became a mom at 26 I still felt that I was too young to be a mom so I can only imagine for her being 16 like how it must have been for her but you know I do know that my grandmother was very neglectful towards my mother during her pregnancy 
wanted her to hide, wanted her to keep me a secret, um, never went to like doctor's appointments and that stuff. So that caused, you know, a little bit of friction between the both of them. But in turn, I don't know if that just made my mother like neglect me or hate me in some way. Um, I always had a good relationship with my grandma and my grandma always, you know, it, it was very clear that I was my grandmother's favorite. So it, you know, kind of seemed some sort of like jealousy towards like my mother had towards me, you know, and um, it just, it made my mother very like, I don't want to say the word hateful because I'm sure she loved me, you know, in the best way that she could. But it, it made it feel that she was like purposely neglecting me, purposely keeping me out of the loop, purposely not inviting me places, purposely not trying to be in my life because of the way that my grandmother treated me. So that's kind of where all that <laughs> that like comes from. Yeah. And 16 is so young, isn't it? I mean, I look at kids that I know that are 16 and you just can't even begin to imagine you know, them having a child. It's, it's, they're, they're just still a child themselves. So, right, right. so were you brought up by your grandmother? Yes. So I lived with my grandparents all of my life. Um, my mom, I believe got married when I was about five or six years old. Um, and she moved out because she lived with my grandparents too, but she moved out with her husband she had two kids at that point for that marriage and she lived on her own and I lived with my grandparents and I, I lived with my grandparents my entire life up until I moved out when I was an adult. Um, so I was basically raised by my grandmother and my grandfather. Yeah. And what was that like growing up with them? I know you said your grandmother loved you and cared for you. Did you feel like it was a good environment to grow up in? It's one of those things where it's like they did the best they could, you know, um, uh, let's see. So, you know, my, my grandma had her own issues that she needed to deal with. My grandma, you know, was kind of just depressed. Um, and I was always like in the in group with my grandma. So you know, she took care of me. She loved me. She gave me as much as she possibly could, but no one in my family was ever very like loving per se, like not very affectionate. We weren't people to tell each other, like, I love you, or even like hugs or, you know, kisses, like no affection whatsoever. So, you know, they raised me, they did the best that they could, but in terms of like having some sort of like emotional, you know, physical like connection towards them, definitely did not have any of that. Yeah. So there wasn't much talking and discussing or there wasn't much around how somebody was feeling or whether they were coping okay, anything like that was happening. Yeah, no, definitely not. We were not a family to talk about any sort of feelings. You know, we all kind of had our own like schedules. And so, you know, we wouldn't even have like like dinner together, you know, because everyone either worked at different times or when I was like in middle school or high school, I did activities. So like I would be home super late and stuff. So no, you know, we weren't a family to talk about feelings, emotions, things going on. Um, and that definitely like affected me because I was going through whatever it was that I was going through and I was in a super dark place and it was just very lonely because I just felt that you know I, I didn't have anyone in my family to talk to to open up to so you know it definitely affected me that no one really talked in our family 
Yeah, absolutely. And when you're a little kid and your mum's not there and then also nobody is talking or explaining or even asking, how are you feeling? Are you coping? Are you okay? You're, you're basically very abandoned from a young age, aren't you? In all respects. Yeah, definitely. You know, until this day, like I still don't necessarily know the truth of why my mother lived in a different place. From what my mom says, it's that my grandma never let me go. From what my grandma had told me was that my mom never asked me to go with her, you know? So I, you know, I don't, I don't really know. And when you're, you know, like a preteen and, and there's puberty, there's emotions, there's like everything fine everywhere. You start to like question, like, what is going on? Like, what is the truth, you know? And it truly wasn't until middle school that I realized that like my family dynamic was not normal. I started to realize like, oh, I live with my grandparents, but like all of my friends live with their mom and dad. Why don't I live with my mom? You know, that was when I started to question like, where is my dad? Like what actually happened to my dad? I never got any answers. You know, it was, it was always dismissed. So, you know, that, that took a toll on me. That was definitely really rough, like during that time. And what about your grandmother's life? Did she have a good upbringing? Did she have a good relationship? Were there good relationships throughout your family going back through generations? I mean, you know, like I said, my family was not really one to talk. So (laughs) we don't really know much about my, my grandmother's upbringing or anything. I do know that her father was just not a nice person, man. Um, I do know that she was the oldest of, I think it was like 10, 11 kids or so that my great-grandma had. And she, um, you know, had to take care of them even like at a young age and stuff. So I'm sure that her upbringing wasn't, you know, the nicest or the best. And I'm sure her mother gave her a hard time, which then made my grandmother give my mother a hard time, which then made my mother give me a hard time. It's just that that vicious generational cycle that just kind of continued. Yeah, absolutely. And so by the time you got to school, did you feel like school was a safe space for you? Definitely. School was where I had, you know, my friends, essentially, where I had all these activities. I made myself busy, like busy, busy, busy. Like in middle school and high school, I was in drama. I was in cheerleading. I was in dance. I was like in different groups. I didn't want to be home. (laughs) So, you know, I made school and I made all these activities my priority um, because it helped me just kind of distract from, you know, whatever it was that was going on at home, whatever it was that was questioning and stuff. It was just a busy, busy, busy. That's kind of what kept me going. Yeah. And so as a teen, were you, were you happy in your life as a teenager? Um, I pretended to be happy. <laughs> um, I, I, I definitely pretended to show a, a happy front. Um, but, you know, deep down inside, I, I truly wasn't. At the age of 13, I was actually suicidal. Um, simply because it was that age where I started to question everything. And it was that age where I started to realize, like, you know, my mom had me at 16 years old. Like, who in their right frame of mind would have a child that young? Plus being, you know, plus the abandonment, plus the neglect. Like, it, it made me think, like, why am I even here? Like, what, what, is my, what is my purpose? Like, I'm not 
I'm not supposed to be here. And that majorly took a toll on me. And I, I dug myself into this very deep and dark hole and then not having like family that was willing to give me answers to the questions that I had, you know, it definitely made it a lot harder. So that's when I dug myself into school and that's when I dug myself into all these activities because I was like, these are the things that are bringing me a little bit of joy. You know, these are the things that I look forward to. And so I'm going to keep going to dance and I'm going to keep cheerleading. I'm going to keep doing all of these things. So, you know, that's kind of what helped me. Yeah. So from the outside, you were appearing to be a pretty happy, normal teenager. And yet at home and, and in your quiet moments, you were struggling quite a lot. What was the what was the lowest point, do you think, in that time? Well, so my mother was, I think I was, I was like 14, 13, 14. And uh, my mother had become pregnant with my youngest, my youngest sibling. And um, they hid the pregnancy from me or like as much as they could, they hid it from me because they knew that I was going to be, you know, upset about it. And I was upset about it. Um, upset that one, they were hiding from me, but also I was upset because in my mind, I was thinking like, you know, you already have, you know, three other kids you barely take care of us, you know, you're, or at least for me, like you're barely there for me. Now you're going to bring another kid into this world and screw up another kid, you know, like that was, that was what I was thinking. And that's a lot to think at the age of like 13, 14 years old to be worried, you know, that way. And I think that was like, definitely my lowest point. Like that was when I felt the most lonely because nobody in my family was talking to me nobody in my family was telling me you know about my mom being pregnant and it was it was a lot it was hard to like you know ev like everyone in my family was like in on this like secret you know and so it was like why am I here like what what is the point if no one's gonna talk to me no one's gonna tell me no one's gonna treat me like a member of this family like why am I here what is like what's the point yeah and so what what happened then? Um, well, I mean, at that point, I did start with the self-harm. Um, it was a way to just get some of that, you know, that angst out, some of the, the pain out. It was something that I was able to control on my own, essentially. Um, and I know, you know, that sounds weird, but it was, it was a pain that I was able to control and a pain that was helping me just, you know, relieve all the stress that I was feeling inside. But, you know, I joined um, a youth group and, um, you know, going to this youth group and, and going to church and everything and seeing everyone just like being so happy and just being so like, you know, like loving life and everything. And, and that definitely saved me at that point in my life. And it was this group of people that were always so welcoming, always so loving, you know, they're like not judging or, or anything. They were just so like full of life. And that is honestly what saved me, what was able to get me out of just like being in this deep, dark path. And I am like extremely grateful for the like, group of of youths, the group of teens that I met at that time, because um, they were the ones who saved my life. Yeah, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? It's probably yeah. maybe the first time that you felt really part of something, really feeling the love around you, and that's taken a long time in your life before you've really felt 
that way. Right. It was definitely like a place that I felt that I belonged, you know, since the, since day one, like it was just open arms from every single person, you know, and, and some of these people I became good friends with and they knew, you know, kind of what was going on in my home. They knew that I, you know, had been doing self-harm at that point and none of them were scolding me or like judging me. They were all just, oh, wow, I'll listen to you. I'll be here for you. Like if you're ever feeling that way again, come to me, talk to me, you know, and it was, it was completely opposite as to what I was raised with <laughs> because, you know, everyone in my family had just been so closed off. And then here's this group of people, these, you know, in teens, they're all teenagers um, who are just so open and so willing to listen. So it was like a breath of fresh air and it was so great. And they, you know, honestly came at the perfect time in my yeah. life because it was exactly what I needed at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And so did you stick around with them for a long time or what happened next? Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I stayed, in, you know, in the church and going to everything for a few years. Um, but then I graduated high school and went to college and, you know, my life just got, you know, busy. And then um, I had moved and stuff. But, um, you know, it's not that I don't still have, you know, a relationship with God or anything like that. It was just a different time. You know, I had to kind of move on from that. Yeah. And what was college like? What were those times like for you? Um, well, <laughs> when I was in college, I actually was in um, a very toxic relationship. Um, and it was a very just like narcissistic person. Um, but I think at the same time, I was going through a lot and trying to figure out my own emotions and trying to figure out like, you know, what is it that I want to do with my life? What is it that I want to be? So I think it was, you know, at the end of the day, if I think about it now, it was just two kids clashing and just trying to figure out, you know, what we were trying to do, you know, in life. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a bad relationship and it was never physical, but it was always a lot of emotional abuse. And, um, you know, it, it's weird. And if I think about it now, it, this person was just very like, wishy-washy you know it was like some days it was like wonderful and you know so loving and so great and then then you know next day or the next moment it was so just like you're a horrible person how, you know how could you do that like making me feel extremely guilty over something small or trying to express my feelings or anything um so you know that kind of lasted almost all through college and um you know, with that relationship, I lost my, my little bit of self-worth that I had found while I was going to church and everything. I lost a little bit of self-esteem, um, on my self-respect and, you know, even until like today, it's still taking me a long time to kind of gain all of that back. So do you realize how damaging that relationship was when you were in it? Not in it, definitely not in it. Um, you know, it was just, it, it felt familiar. <laughs> if I'm being quite honest, it felt familiar um, because, you know, now that I can, you know, step back and think about it, it was very similar to like my relationship with my mom because, he, you know, some days she would be wonderful and so loving and so great. But then like the next moment or the next day, it was very like, you're a horrible person, you know, making me feel guilty over something. So, you know, as weird as it sounds, it was just, it was familiar. Like to me, 
that's what, you know, quote unquote love was, you know, you have your good days and your bad days and no love and no relationship is ever going to be perfect. So I thought like, oh, this is, this is as good as it gets, (laughs) you know, like that was, that was my mentality. I didn't realize how bad it was until, you know, I got out of the relationship. And then that's when I met my husband. And then I was like, oh, okay. So that was wrong. (laughs) That is not how, how relationships are supposed to go. You're not supposed to be stepping on your toes the whole time. Like it shouldn't be that way. So, um, not something I recognized during, I think the relationship lasted like six years or so. It was a, it was a very long time. Yeah. A long time in my life. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And it's, it is, isn't it? I, I'm realizing now that when we go from a childhood that doesn't give us that love, we actually feel so comfortable in that, that that's where we often end up. People can spend their whole life in abusive relationships and never realize that it's abusive because it's just so familiar for them. And it's just tragic that some people can spend 40, 50 years in that. Yeah, it's really, really sad. So I'm so glad that you were able to break that cycle for yourself at a relatively early age. So you stayed in that for six years. Was it just the end of college that saw you finish that relationship or was there another Um, reason? So I had moved out of um, my grandparents' house, right? So yeah, I was like the end. And then I moved out of uh, my grandparents' house. I was living with a roommate at this point. Um, And so I was working at a gym and I had transferred locations and we were just too far away. And you know, having all that time to myself, it like just kind of made me realize like, okay, well, this person is is using me. This person is sort of abusing me. And like the times that I wasn't around this person, I felt so much happier and so much freer, you know? So I was just kind of, I want to see what this new city with this new place kind of has in store for me. And so it just, I, you know, I just kind of broke it off at that point. I didn't really give an explanation or anything. I was just like, you know what? I'm in a new town. You're too far away from me. This, this person didn't even have a car. Like they would use me for my car. Like it, it was just bad all on its own. So there's like no way for this person to come and actually visit me. It would have to be me having to put in all the effort to go drive all the way down. And it was just at that point, something that I just wasn't willing to do anymore. So I don't know if it was just like a random wake up call that I had. And I was like, Oh, I'm done. Goodbye. You know, and and that was it. It's basically just kind of what happened. Yeah. And how dark did it get for you in that relationship? Um, There was definitely times where kind of the self-harm came back. Um, The suicidal thoughts came back. And that was just mainly because I, I was starving for love so badly starving for love. And I was giving this person like everything, like everything, my all, like everything. Um, and it was very, very draining. And this person just wasn't giving me anything back really like any like true, like love back. And, you know, there was points, you know, during that relationship where I was just like, I, I'm never going to find love. Like I, I'm, 
I'm not worthy of, of love. Like I am giving this person everything. Like what more can I give in order to get that love back? And so, you know, the self-harm happened at times, suicidal thoughts happened at times because it was like, again, it was like, why am I even here? What is my purpose of being here? If I'm not on, in this world to be loved, then like, what? Am I just here as like someone's punching bag? Am I just here to like endure everyone's pain? And, you know, it was, it was a lot, but, you know, this person just wasn't the right person for me you know, but I was, I was young. I was, you know, naive. Like you think, you know, your relationships are going to last forever at that point, you know, even though they don't. So I was thinking like, there's, there's no way that there's going to be someone out there who's going to love me when I'm already giving everything that I possibly can to this one person and they can't accept it. Yeah, absolutely. I really love that description because yeah, I can understand the way you must have felt. I'm doing everything and I'm just, I, I'm not worthy of love because it's not coming my way. I really, I really resonate with that description. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And what other things were happening for you? Because obviously what you're doing now is all around anxiety. Was there anxiety there at that time? Was there anxiety before that time? So there was definitely anxiety before then. So I'm pretty sure that I've, you know, had anxiety all of my life but I never knew that it was anxiety. You know, um, I was always told that I was just a shy and quiet kid, you know, um, but that was just me from me being, you know, anxious and, and not wanting to talk to people because I just didn't want to sound, you know, stupid or anything. So I would just kind of keep quiet when I was in, in high school and middle school, when I would do performances right before I would go on stage, I would get so nervous. And I would always like try and ask my friends, like, are you guys like this, scared and this nervous that you, you know, you're thinking that you're going to fall or trip or, you know, or whatever. And everyone's just like, no, you know? And so I was like, okay, well, that's a little bit odd, but I wasn't actually like officially diagnosed with anxiety up until I was in this relationship. And I had just started a new birth control. And I noticed that at nighttime, I was clenching my jaw when I would sleep and it would be, you know, I would wake up in the morning and it was so painful because I was just clenching so bad and one of my friends was like oh, maybe it's like a symptom of your new birth control like go to a doctor go figure it out and so you know I went to a few different doctors and then they're like oh well you know 
sometimes birth control can cause you anxiety. Like that's probably what it is. And I was like, okay, cool. Well then get me off of that. I don't want that. Put me on something else or whatever, but it never went away. And that was slowly when I started to realize all these different like anxious things that were coming on and that I was doing. But just like throughout this whole relationship, I feel that I was just an anxious mode. I was just constantly in like that flight and fight response the entire time. And I would notice that I would get like super anxious during certain situations or, you know, when people were to talk to me and stuff. So I didn't really realize that I had it up until I was in that relationship. Yeah. And did you ever have full-blown panic attacks? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, One too many. I remember specifically at one point we were, I think we were like arguing in a car or something. And it was like a full-blown panic attack, but it was also almost like a blackout. Like I didn't remember that we were driving. I didn't remember passing the specific buildings or places or whatever. I just remember that like we arrived at one place and I'm just like, did, did, did we move? <laughs> like, were we driving? Like, you know, what happened? Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> during that relationship, I had pretty bad um, panic. Yeah, a lot of pretty bad panic attacks. Yeah, so a panic attack can be, you just, you're saying blackout. So you just, a part of your life just goes missing. I've never suffered a panic attack myself. I mean, I've had a lot of anxiety, but not a panic attack. So I always imagine it like you're kind of like in this really hyped up state and you're hyperventilating. Is that another way of having a panic attack or are there various things that can happen? I mean, I think there's definitely various things that can happen. So I had that one where where I blacked down. I don't remember absolutely anything, like a complete dissociative state. Um, I've also had the ones where it's like the super, you know, heavy heart racing um, where you can't like sit still. But I think for me, the most common ones that like I have suffered with are the ones where you're just kind of numb and you're just in a super dissociative state and you just, you, you can't think, you can't focus and you're just kind of, you know, it's almost like staring at a blank wall you know, and there's just like so much going on up here, but there's not much like coming out of you. I think, at least for me, that's kind of one of the most common ones, but you know, everyone um, has different kinds of panic attacks. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe I have had one. (laughs) That last last type sounds kind of familiar. So you decided to ditch this toxic person in your life. You've gone off to this other place, this other town, And what happens in your life at this point? Um, So this is where I met my husband. (laughs) Um, Literally, maybe a month had passed or or less, maybe, I don't even know. But we were working at the same gym, same location. And he just was so different. And um, it was something that, quite frankly, I'd never, like, experienced before. He was always just kind of trying to be there and always trying to show up for me. And I, to be honest, had my walls up to like the very top. I was not letting him like come in in any shape or form, but he was very patient. And 
um, you know, I started to open up to him and I told him, I was like, listen, I was in this bad relationship and, and this would happen and this would happen. And there are points where, you know, he would say something and it would trigger me, you know, over, you know, what happened in my past relationship that he had no idea, you know, what was going on. And I would start crying like hysterically or something. And he would just kind of be like, um, what is going on, you know? And at one point I was like, okay, this dude is going to leave me because he probably thinks I'm crazy, you know, like crying over the smallest things. But he was very patient with me and he kind of just, you know, understood and took everything step by step with me. And in less than a year, we were married. <laughs> like wow. That's just kind of what happened. It was, it was so different. And um, it was like something that I had never experienced before. And um, I mean, we're still married today, almost eight years. <laughs> so um, amazing. Yeah, it, it was it was a good change. And it was a good thing for me to move. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can kind of look back and say, it's just meant to be sometimes these things that you've just taken yourself finally you've gone came out of here I'm going here and then boom a month later you found this amazing person it's just it's got to be the way it's meant to be right what does your husband do for you that nobody else has ever done in your life <laughs> this is gonna sound very sad but um he loves me um, you know, like he, he shows me that he loves me. He shows me that he loves me unconditionally, like all the time, even if I'm being unreasonable, even if I'm being, you know, mean, even if I'm yelling, you know, like whatever it is, I'm going through some sort of rage. Like he loves me and he doesn't stop showing me that he, that he loves me. So that's something that I never truly experienced, you know, in, in my life. So that is the one thing that he does and he still continues to do. I love that. I love that you've got that in your life now. So obviously the anxiety has continued for you, even though you're now in a beautiful, loving relationship. What sort of things have you done to heal that anxiety or try to heal that anxiety over the years? Well, for starters, um, I've learned to just accept that I have anxiety and I've learned to accept that having the anxiety is here to, you know, protect me, that having the anxiety is just here to just, you know, kind of show me a different way of, of thinking and of life. If I try and fight against it, it only makes it worse. So accepting that I have it and just accepting to embrace my life with it and then just accepting that having anxiety doesn't cripple me and it doesn't stop me from doing anything. You know, am I going to overthink something sometimes? You know, yes, that's part of having anxiety. Uh, am I going to be a little bit more nervous than most people doing things? Like, yeah, but it's not going to stop me from trying to accomplish anything in my life. So I think that's the biggest thing that I have had to learn to do is just accept it and just accept that it's a part of me, that it's, you know, essentially not really going to go anywhere. And that's what's helping me just kind of keep it at ease. Just saying like, okay, cool. Today's going to be a little bit of an anxious day. How can I try and work around it? Like, you know, this morning was a very anxious day, <laughs> um, but I took it easy. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling this way. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to get a little bit of sunlight. Um, I'm not going to, you know, put too much on my plate. Like I'm going to kind of relax here have some coloring time with my daughter, you know, like do something calming, relaxing. Um, 
so that I can have like an even better day. Yeah. So what does a good day and a bad day look like? What's the difference between those two things in terms of anxiety? So a good day would be none of the like everyday anxieties, you know, just waking up, feeling rested, you know, nothing triggering (laughs) coming up. Um, And then a bad day would be, I wake up feeling just like anxious. Like it's, it's kind of weird, but when I wake up in the morning, I kind of can already tell what type of day I'm going to have, just depending on the mood it is that I wake up. Some days I wake up good. And some days I'm just like, oh crap, here we go again, you know? Um, and those are the days that I just, I take it easy. And, and my husband's really good. I'll, you know, I can text him and I can just be like, today is not a good day. And he'll be like, okay. So he knows not to expect too much out of me from that day. And it's definitely a lot harder to take me days when, you know, as a mom, because my child still requires a lot from me, but we, we do the, the outside activities, getting some sunlight, we'll do coloring, you know, I'll play with her, even if it means like having to order out lunch to not, you know, me not having to cook anything for her just to kind of keep it easy. But yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. So it's all about anxiety is all about the nervous system, right? So we're just on overdrive on those anxiety days and it's all about keeping it calm what other things have you used in your life to keep that calmness so um one big thing is I try and keep like the same schedule every day so I kind of know like my routine throughout the day because if anything kind of throws that off then that's when I'm anxious so um, I try and keep like a same routine like waking up at the same time going to bed at the same time you know knowing that at this time of the day I have to do this and that and that Uh, I mean sometimes obviously things come up and we have to change that but just sticking to a very simple and kind of the same routine has helped I've sort of changed my diet around a little bit you know I cut off caffeine (laughs) and I know a lot of people are like coffee like you don't drink coffee and it's like no because if I drink caffeine then that's when my anxiety starts to kind of kick in you know so I mean do I have coffee here and there like yes but it's not like an everyday every morning thing anymore I I cut that out and I know that makes me sound insane to a lot of people who are very dependent on coffee but you know I cut that out um, even things like, like sugar, um, I try and limit, you know, eating sweets and that stuff. Um, I try and keep as much of a clean diet as I possibly can. Like if I'm craving a cupcake or some ice cream, of course, I'm going to go get it, but it's not like an everyday thing an everyday necessity because even eating sugar can sometimes cause me anxiety. And I'm a huge, huge, huge advocate on like exercising and working out to help relieve you know, any sort of anxiety. I actually started doing little miniature dance parties just to kind of like, you know, get me going, get the blood flowing. And my daughter enjoys it. She, you know, loves dancing with me and I love dancing. So just little things like that, doing little changes. And I know that it sounds like extremely cliche because you're like, well, everyone tells me this, but you know, there's a reason why people tell you it's because they actually work the caffeine, the sugar, the exercising, the eating well, it all works and it all definitely helps. Yeah, absolutely. And you add all those things together and all those little things turn into quite a a big impact, I think. So yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm the same with coffee, but I just allow myself 
to have certain days in the week because <laughs> I figure I actually did give it up and then I was like but everybody else is having it like <laughs> it's very hard but um <laughs> so I feel like when I listen to the way your mom and people in your life have spoken to you and about you, you've obviously had a very low self-esteem and low opinion of herself at different points. How do you feel about yourself now? Um, I'm still working on it. (laughs) I am definitely still working on it. Um, But I will say that I definitely now have a lot more highs than I do lows. It's funny because um, I went to therapy at one point and my therapist like straight up just said like, well, you have no (laughs) self-esteem. And I was like, well, great, you know? And she gave me some way to like work on it, which I never ended up doing, but it's all a process and it's all been like a learning process. And I'm trying to learn to accept myself for, you know, who I am and, and what I look like and, and how I am and how I act. Um, but it's definitely still still a learning process for me. Um, I have days where I feel great and I feel like, you know, I have like a godlike complex where I'm just like, oh, I am the best thing in the world, you know? And then there are days where I'm just like, well, I feel like a piece of garbage today. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's all a process and, you know, maybe one day I'll have all highs and no lows, but as of right now, you know, if I'm being quite honest, I still have both highs and lows. And it's just part of the healing process, right? I mean, we have to go through that. I was speaking to someone on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying when she started her healing journey, she just wanted to be happy for five days a week because she knew she wasn't happy Uh, very many days so she was going to try and do five days and then she could be really sad or miserable on two days and (laughs) you know she was just just happy to have that and it's interesting now she can look back she's a coach and she's doing you know helping other people and she can now say I'm happy in my life but we have to go through those stages I think and um, it's good to know that it's improving and that I think I feel like you're definitely going to get there and can I just tell you, you're very beautiful and you should believe that about yourself. I just think you should know that. So what is your relationship like with your mum now? Do you have a relationship with her? Um, I do not anymore. Um, as of last year, it was either like late October or early November. I don't quite remember. Um, I decided that it wasn't worth my mental health anymore to keep a relationship with her and to be quite honest, a relationship with anyone in my family. So um, I decided to cut ties and um, it was rough. It was definitely extremely rough, especially because the holidays were right around the corner. Um, So we did, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and then it was my daughter's birthday in January. And it was rough just because nobody reached out. I don't think anyone truly noticed that I had, you know, um, kind of blocked them on things. And um, it was very painful because it felt, you know, it, it kind of felt like it confirmed my theory that like no one truly cared about me, you know? So, you know, it, it was very hard, but, you know, and, and now it's almost been a year and I, you know, I still have my bad days and I still have my good days, but I know that I made the right decision and, you know, little things come up here and there, like rumors that I hear or different stuff. Like this morning, something came up 
but all those things that come up only confirm you know that I made the right decision so it was rough but I stand by that and I, I don't regret it one yeah. bit Absolutely. And in the end, you have to put yourself first. You have to put your mental health first and you have to understand that what other people are doing, they're doing because of who they are and not because of who you are. And when we actually really understand that, and I think it took me a long time to understand that, things start to change. So it's just something to really remember. You know, we hear it's not about you, it's about them. Everybody says it all the time. But when you realise that it is actually just about them and what they're doing is really just about who they are it's not about you then it is a really big step I think in moving on what do you want differently for your I know you have a a beautiful daughter what do you want her experience of growing up to be that wasn't what you had um I want her to feel loved (laughs) I want her to feel loved and appreciated and I want her to feel heard. Um, you know, I, when I was pregnant with her, I actually had um, antepartum depression, which is the opposite, not the opposite, but like postpartum depression is after pregnancy, antepartum is during pregnancy. And I want to say that a lot of that stemmed from me being afraid of being a mother because I didn't have the best motherly role model, you know? Um, And then I found out that I was having a girl. And so I was afraid. I was like, well, I didn't have a good female role model in my life either. And I was terrified. I was legit terrified that I was going to screw up my child, you know? And there was a point in, you know, during this where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave my child with my husband and I'm going to go. Like, she doesn't need to know me. Like, she's better off without me. But it was the moment that I had her and the moment that I was holding her that I looked at her little face and I don't know, hormones flying and everything. But it was when I realized like, it's my job to love her and to protect her. And it was also in that moment where like, I started to feel a little bit of resentment towards my own mother because I'm like, I have this baby here who's so innocent and so pure. Like, how could you be so cruel to your children? And definitely having my daughter opened up my eyes in a lot of things, (laughs) um, in a lot of different ways. And I always like to say that my daughter was the the person who saved me. Oh, I love that. And they do, they come along and they teach us so much, don't they? And I guess the thing is that we have to be open to that, that teaching and learning from our own children. And obviously a lot of people are not open to that. And I love that you you're just taking all those lessons and knowing what mothering is all about. It's so beautiful. So you've got a podcast and you're talking about anxiety. Why does someone with anxiety decide to do a podcast? <laughs> because it must be it must be like a terrifying decision to make. Um, so it was actually my husband who kind of like pushed the idea because um, I, I started blogging and um, because I, you know, I've always been someone, it's just easier for me to express myself in writing, right? And so I started blogging, and um, I actually started to get, you know, quite a response off of the blogs that I was doing. And my husband was like, why don't you just start a podcast? And I'm just like, who's gonna listen to me? Like, who cares, like, what it is that I have to say, you know? And he was like, oh, I think you'd be great at it. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) 
And so he, you know, he, he bought me a book on like how to start a podcast and he like, oh, let's go get you a computer and a desk and, you know, mic and everything. And I started going through the book and I started, you know, just kind of jotting notes down, like, well, what could I talk about in this? And I never truly expected it to be more than just like a few episodes because I was like, well, I can only talk about so much, right? But, you know, when I started releasing the episodes, I would get, you know, like followers who would be like, oh, that was really good. Or that was interesting. Or, you know, I didn't know that that was a a thing or I thought I was the only one, you know. And so that just kind of pushed me to just kind of keep going. And the more and more I did it, the more comfortable I felt doing it and the less anxiety, as you can say, I started to get. And it's just it's just very therapeutic. I can very quickly snap on my stuff and like. 30 minutes in, I'm like, bam, 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 got out what I had to say and then done. So, I mean, I, I still get a little bit of anxiety before like my episodes come out because I'm like, well, what are people going to think of me now? (laughs) Is this the episode where people think this girl is crazy, you know, like just damn right insane. Um, So far I have not gotten any of that response yet. So, um, you know, it's been great. And Truly, you know, my, my listeners and friends, you know, all of their support has just kind of helped me to, you know, kind of keep going. So, yeah, I think it's amazing. And obviously there's a lot of people out there who have anxiety. So hearing somebody just talking about that in so much detail is really healing for people. So it's called Mothering Anxiety. And where else can we find you? We can find you on Instagram. Can you tell us where we can find you there? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram for um, Mothering Anxiety podcast. That is specifically only to my podcast. But then I also have my other account, which is Anxious But Magical Mama. And there, you know, I still talk about anxiety and mental health, but I kind of show a little bit more of my entire life on there as well. Oh, well, Maria, thank you so much for chatting to me today and sharing your story. Abandonment is incredibly damaging for kids. And, you know, we don't have to be beaten up in our own homes. We don't have to have extreme things happen to us because something like abandonment is something that can affect us for our entire lives. So, Thank you for sharing your story and thank you for everything that you're doing in the world. You're a beautiful soul and I've loved connecting with you today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for inviting me on here. I'm truly, truly an honor and truly a pleasure. Thank you. Check the show notes for a direct link to all books recommended in this episode. Come and follow me on Instagram at My Big Love Project. Drop a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique. And you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week.